And then the last thing I'm going to do, and since we're limited on time, you know, I told you guys, I wanted to share with you just a little bit on what we do as far as sharing about the kingdom of God when we go out and share our faith. And so what I'm going to do is, is we actually do a presentation when we go out and share, and it's based on a track that we've created for Africa, and it's called Two Kingdoms. We have four of these tracks, and what I'm going to do instead of giving you the actual uh, presentation that we use in Africa. I'm going to give you guys the link to that site. I not only has the uh, brochure that you can see, and you're welcome to download and edit. We don't copyright anything. But more importantly, you're going to see Mark, who is my trainer and my mentor. Mark is actually going to give the presentation from this website, and you'll watch him give it, okay? So you can watch him, rewind him, you can take notes, you can do anything you want to do, and he does about this 30-minute presentation using this thing. And more importantly, you not only can watch the Two Kingdoms training material that we use when we go and share the gospel, but then the next one, which is the commands of Jesus, he teaches that from our brochure. The next one, the church in the house, and the last one, repentance and baptism. So you can see the actual materials we use when we go out doing two-by-two evangelism and hear somebody that actually wrote the materials show you how to use them to train people because they're very minimalistic. What we do is we pretty much use nothing but scripture and then we teach them, our people, how to segue from verse to verse. So they say very little other than they're just sharing Bible verses about repenting, coming to Jesus, sin, law of sin and death, you know, basic things that you might teach somebody. So this will give you guys the ability to go online and you can see all those things and watch them as many times or not that you would want to and actually be trained by the guy that wrote and used the materials. What I'm going to do instead with you guys is uh, I'm gonna, I'll, I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God, and I want to share with you a little bit of my journey uh, about understanding and, and my passion for the kingdom of God. The first thing I want to tell you is, is that, you know, I realized myself that even though that we had this brochure and we went out and taught people about the kingdom and we used it when we went out and shared the gospel, that, you know, it was very limited and it was very simplified for Africans. You'll see that if you look at our material, okay? It, we start out so simple, it's like this. You know, I'm here today to talk to you about two kingdoms. The kingdom of God is firmly established in the heavens, but God was, but the Satan was cast down the earth. We read a verse about Satan being cast down the earth. We say Adam and Eve was on the earth too, and they were only given one ruler law to follow, and we call it the law of sin and death, and we read about it, and you turn the page. That was page one. There's only eight pages. And so in the second page, we talk about them, them uh, sinning and, and, and becoming subject to the law of sin and death. And then we begin to go into the fact that men and women are enslaved to Satan. And then we talk about God's plan for them to get out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. It's very, very simple. What I want to talk to you about is a little bit more because I want you to understand a few things about the kingdom of God. And I want you to understand my journey on coming to this understanding. I, I began to wake up every day and I decided that if God said, seek first the kingdom of God, how do I do that? And so I started out as I took a pen and a piece of paper. Now y'all going to think I'm crazy, but hear me out on this. And what I did is I looked up every single verse in the New Testament on the kingdom of God and I hand wrote it down. I didn't type it. 
I didn't just read it, but I hand wrote it down. Then I looked up every single verse on the kingdom of heaven, and I hand wrote it down. Then I look up every single verse on the kingdom, because, you know, there's also Christ's kingdom, God's kingdom, the kingdom of our Father, the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of the Lord. And I looked every verse up, and I began to write them down. And after I'd done that, I read them in context. I read them out of context. I read the whole chapter they were in. And I just kept going over these things over and over again. You know, I'd always been told, Jesus talked about the kingdom over 100 times. Not only where they come up with this stuff, but Matthew alone has 276 verses about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Paul, everybody said, well, you know, uh, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. But, you know, Paul came and brought us the real gospel. And I go, really? Because he talked about it 14 times. In fact, Paul said that when he went out and shared the gospel, that he literally talked about the kingdom of God. And so I, as I began to study all these verses, I began to see some things I'd never seen before. So I decided to do this exercise, and I'm, I'm going to show this to you guys. I, uh, I have an iPad, and I began to journal. You know what journaling is? That's like taking notes for yourself. It's, you know, little girls uh, like to keep diaries, and so, you know, they'll write down things, what happened to them today and everything. And I began to journal about what God was doing in my life, and I also began to journal about, uh, here we go. I also began to journal about the kingdom of God. So what I would do is at first I started out, you know, just typing some verses, cutting and placing some verses. And then I decided I was going to just write down every single verse in the New Testament about the kingdom of God. Now, here's where it got kind of crazy. I would wake up every day and I would write down everything that I thought I knew about the kingdom of God. So I'd wake up in the morning, and at first it was very primitive because, you know, I had, had read all this stuff, and I had written them all down, but, you know, I, my memory wasn't that good. So I'd go, okay, okay, what do I remember? Can't look it up, just what I remember. Oh, yeah, seek first the kingdom of God. Bingo, got that one. Uh, treasure's like, uh, kingdom's like a treasure in the field. So I'd write that down, and I'd go, oh, kingdom's like a pearl of great price. I'd write that one down. Oh, it's not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And I'd write that down. And I kept going and kept going, and then I'd write until I just got tired, you know, 30, 40 minutes. I'm fried. And I'd stop, and I'd close it up, and I'd forget about it. And I'd wake up the next day, and I'd say, I'm going to write down everything I know about the kingdom of God. And I'd start all over again, and I'd start writing it down again. And I did this over and over and over and over again. And what happened is, not in the first week, not in the first month, not in the sixth month, but about the second year. Yes, I'm that crazy. About the second year of writing it down, all of a sudden things started coming together in a little different way. And, and you know, I read all the verses, and you've read all the verses. We're not going to look up the hundreds and hundreds of verses here today, but let me show you just a couple of things that I began to see and what really changed my life as far as the kingdom of God went. I ran across this crazy verse. You know, Jesus always saying crazy things. See if facial recognition will work. Nope. It says, I can't see you, Glenn. You're weird. You're, you're standing in a weird place. I, I kept going through there, and I ran across this verse, and I'd read it a hundred times. You guys know it. How many of you remember the verse about the sheep and the goats? You know, he puts a sheep on one side, puts a goat on the other side. Well done. When I was hungry, you fed me, and thirsty, you gave me drink, and when I was naked, you clothed me. You know, all the classic things that we love. And I'd read it a hundred times, and I don't know why, but I was reading it again because, you know, I'm writing down everything I remember about the kingdom of God every day. And all of a sudden, this day I'm reading, and I go, and I'm reading along, and I go, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
Enter into the kingdom prepared for you at the foundation of the earth. Now, I don't have my Old Testament, so I'm going to pretend this is it. And all of a sudden, I froze in my steps. I go, wait a minute. Now, I remember that God said, let's create man. Let's make him in our own image, and let's give him dominion over the whole earth. And I used to say, yeah, that's when, you know, God gave us dominion. We were created. You know, that's kind of like the kingdom. We were created uh, to rule in the kingdom of God. And so, you know, I kind of, that was where I thought, you know, this is, that was God's purpose for us and everything. But then all of a sudden, I read this thing about Jesus, and it said, enter into the kingdom that was prepared for you. At the foundation of the earth. And I said, the foundation of the earth. Oh, Genesis 1.1. So in the beginning, God created the, family, the, the, the heavens and the earth. And Jesus says, that's it. That's when I prepared for you the kingdom of the earth. And then God said, let's make man and put him in our own image. And I began to realize something. Something that had never occurred to me before is, is that I was made for the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God was literally made for me. We were made to live in the context of the kingdom of God. And, 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 I, and I began to read Genesis in a different method because I'm going, okay, now the Garden of Eden thing, everything changes. Now all of a sudden, I, I began to look at the Garden of Eden and I go, wait a minute, let's take a look at this kingdom of God thing because God has just created a situation where it's prepared for me at the foundation of the earth. I've been given dominion to rule over all the earth. And then the Bible said this weird thing. It said everything else the Bible would say, and God said, and there was, and God said, and there was, and it was good, and God said, and it was, and it was good. And then all of a sudden it said, and then God planted a garden. I go, wait a minute. Why didn't he just say, and it was a garden? Literally it says, and God planted a garden, and he put Adam in there. And I start reading about it, and you realize that God's walking around with Adam. So God's walking with man, Adam's there, and he's given Adam his responsibility. He's given Adam a job to do. He's provided all the food for Adam. Soon he's going to provide Adam a mate, and he's also going to provide for Adam. Start giving Adam responsibility. I love the verse where it says, Adam, I'm going to bring all the animals by. And what it is, Adam, you're going to choose the name for him. He says, Adam, whatever you call him, that's their name. It's probably why Adam means man. And Eve means life. Adam kept things simple. He was a new guy, you know. He was new to the neighborhood. But the cool thing about Adam was is that, you know, Adam never had a peer. Adam didn't have a mommy and a daddy. He'd never been a father. He'd never been a son. He'd never been any of those things. But he's being personally trained by God. And so then he got, God gives him Eve, and he's all excited about Eve. Blood of my blood, flesh of my flesh. We get the famous prophecy there. And then Satan comes along, and we won't dwell on that, but Satan comes along in the form of a serpent. He fools Eve, and instead of doing what God said do, where God said that he was going to provide everything, he only asked that you not eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, but you could eat of the tree of life. I, tree of life, I always wonder why they didn't run to the tree of life first. What in the world makes you want to go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when you can go to the tree of life? But, you know, we'll never know the answer to that till maybe someday. But what I want to make a point is, is I want to show you what happens next because this changes everything. So what happens is Eve hears 
what Satan says. We later find out in the Bible that he's actually Satan. And, and what it happens is, is that she sees it's good for fruit. She sees it's good for food. She sees it's good to make her wise and, uh, and to be like God, according to Satan. And she takes the fruit and eat and she gives it to Adam. And I was, uh, I was teaching this and immediately, you know, they became ashamed. Immediately they hid themselves. God comes and finds them in the garden. And I was talking about this and teaching it. And one of my little ladies that was in a little place called Kikatiti. Can you believe there's a place called Kikatiti? And then we were in Kikatiti. Titty House Church, and I'm there talking to him. I see you giggling, and I was here talking to him, and and as I was doing this, uh, one of the widows starts waving her hands, and her name is uh, Mama Mama uh, Gloria, and I said, "What? What, Mama? Not Gloria, Mama Glory." And I said, "What is it?" And she says, "Do you see it? Do you see it?" I said, "Do I see what?" She says, "Do you see what happened here?" And I says, "What are you talking about?" I mean, this is a very simple lady, barely reading right. And see, I'm always talking about repentance and baptism and entering the kingdom. And she says, do you see what happened? And I says, what? And she says, you know, they sin, and they never ask God to forgive them. They never repented. They stayed in their sin. He said, what would have happened if they said, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? But we'll never know. Because they never ask. God removes them from the, the garden, and they're outside the garden. And what I want to focus on is what happens next. What's the first thing that happens in the next Bible story? We're all familiar with that part of the story. We're familiar with the next two or three things I'm going to tell you, but I want to show you something. So the next things that happen is these people have decided they're not going to follow God's way. They're not going to let God personally disciple them. They're not going to let him train him. They're not going to let God decide how we should live. I want to emphasize something to you. They had never seen a human being. They had no idea how to be a human being. He had no idea, Adam, how to be a father. Eve had no idea how to be a mother. Adam had no idea how to be a husband. She had no idea how to be a wife. They had no idea how to raise children. How many of you seen those families? We all have. There's a family somewhere in the area that's a train wreck. Kids are always in jail. They're, they're, they're being arrested. They're, they're, they're living on welfare or something. And maybe the daddy's been to prison. And the mama, she's just trash. You know, you hear people talking about them. It's a terrible situation. And everybody feels sorry for the kids. And everybody's no good. And don't they know better? And everybody's feeling so pitiful for them. Let me tell you something. They ain't got nothing on Adam and Eve. Their first kids murdered each other. See, he didn't know how to be a daddy, and she didn't know how to be a mama. They turned their back on God. What would God have taught them in the garden? I actually know the answer to that. Can you believe that? I actually know what God was going to teach them in the garden. You see, because Adam and Eve didn't even know how to be a human, so they were going to have to be taught how to be a human being. The human race had no idea what they were designed for. They had rejected the kingdom of God, which were prepared for them at the, at the beginning and the foundation of the earth. And they were now outside of the kingdom, having chosen to follow Satan's leadership and direction. And the Bible says, whoever you obey, they're a slave. They were unwittingly became slaves to Satan. As a matter of fact, as a result of that, the Bible calls Satan 
Let me, let me back up. Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. Paul calls Satan the God of this world. And so the very first story we get when they decide to go their own way is Cain murders Abel. The second story we get is Lamech comes along and he actually murders somebody over just striking him or insulting him in some way. He murders two, two young boys. A couple of stories later, we hear about other problems going on and violence increasing in the land. The next story, God has to wipe the whole face of the earth off with water, and then he gives them the, the commission again to fill the world and be fruitful. And the first thing they do is they go to the Tower of Babel and they do the very opposite of what God told them to do. Instead of going into all the world and being fruitful, they all get together. They come up with their own plan, just like Adam and Eve did. They build them a tower and decide they're going to be, they're going to make a name for themselves. God gets rid of them. He disperses them all over the world and he chooses Abraham. I've always thought it was funny. They wanted to build this tower to reach the heavens and make a name for himself. And God dismissed them. And then he chose Abraham and said, I'm going to make a name for you. Now, I want to I stop there and show you something. Murder enters the world. Human beings don't even know how to be a human being. They cut themselves off from their creator and the only person who knew and could teach them how to be a human being in the right way. They are now enslaved to Satan, and he is not their friend. He came to steal. He came to kill. He came to destroy. Mankind is his enemy, and now they're his slave, and he is a cruel master. I'm going to tell you something. I know what God was going to teach in the garden, and the reason I know is because he sent Jesus the exact representation of the Father, the radiance of his glory. And Jesus came and he taught us how to be human beings. You see, we're supposed to love each other. Husbands are supposed to, according to Jesus and his disciples, husbands love their wife like Christ loved the church. And I believe that's what God was going to teach Adam. He was going to teach wives to submit to their husbands and to love their children. They were going to teach them to even love their enemies. They were going to show them how to serve others and how to be obedient unto God. They were going to show them how to care about each other and be good stewards. They were going to show them how to do the things that Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. You see, if Jesus was the exact representation, the Bible actually calls Jesus the last Adam. So the first Adam came and rejected it, and he never even learned how to be a human being. And this is the fruit, murder, destruction, violence, lust, and carnage. The last Adam came, and he knows how God wants us to be a human being. And he comes and shows us how to be human beings. David Brousseau in his book says that the kingdom of God is the most radical concept that had ever been presented to man. And he talks about the kingdom turning, the, how it's the upside down kingdom. But, and I love David. And of course, he's a great man of God. I have no criticism at all. But I would take issue with that. It's not the upside down kingdom. It's the right side up kingdom. 
And it's not the most radical present proposal that was made for man. It is actually God's original plan for mankind. It's only radical because we don't even know how to be human beings because we're so soiled and corrupted in our flesh. And I'm going to tell you something. This world is in the state and the condition that it's in because of what happened in the garden and other places as we and the heavenly host have rebelled against God. I want to show you something. If you'll turn with me to Revelations, I want to show you something about Genesis I got so excited about because when I'm sorry I want to show you something in Revelations I got excited about so I realized that I told you the other night that Acts started and ended with the kingdom remember Jesus rose and for 40 days he taught about the kingdom of God and the last thing written in the book of Acts was about Paul inviting people to come to his house, persuading them about Jesus and the kingdom of God. What I want to show you tonight is the Bible begins and ends with the kingdom of God. I just showed you where the Bible starts out in Genesis 1-1, and God prepared the kingdom for us at the foundation of the earth, and at Genesis 1-1 is when the Bible said God created the heavens and the earth. And now we turn to Revelations in chapter 20 and 21. Let's do that right now. And once again, I'm in my unmarked Bible, which makes me dangerous. I'm really not made to do things with one hand. And we get to uh, uh, chapter uh, 20, and we find that Satan is bound. I'm just going to jump around here. I'm in chapter 20. And in chapter 6, it says, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So we have this thousand-year period where everybody reigns with God, and then shortly after that, we, ju- we see the great throne judgment. Everybody's brought back. The thousand years are completed in verse 7. Satan's released from prison. He goes out to deceive everyone again. He draws people from the, um, to deceive people from the four corners of the earth. They get ready for battle. Their numbers are like the sands of the sea, and they come from beneath the earth because that's where they've all been sent to by the Lord. And then all of a sudden, they get ready to start this big battle, and guess what? There's no battle. Jesus shows up. Fire came down from heaven and consumed them. There is no great battle in the end. There's Jesus saying, I'm done with you guys. He takes them, the devil, let's see, fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then comes the white throne judgment where everyone stands before God, and those that uh, um, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life is thrown into the lake of fire. And then I want you to see something happen here, and I want you to remember Genesis 1. Let's just review Genesis 1 real quick. God walked with man. The tree of life was there. The rivers flowed through it. God provided the land. God walked with man. There was no death. There was no sickness. And there was nothing wrong. Or, or, and God said basically it was good. And then all of a sudden, we come to Revelations 21. And guess what happens? A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the new earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride and adorned for a husband. Now watch what happens. Then I heard a loud voice say, look. God's dwelling is with humanity. Guess what happens? God's come back to live with man again. 
Let's keep reading. And he will live with them, and they will be his people, and he himself will be with them and will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Let's keep reading. We're going to jump over another page. And we get down to verse 22, and it says, And I didn't see a temple in, the, in this new kingdom, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it, and the lamp is the Lamb. Jump down to chapter 22. Then he showed me the river of water of life, clear as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb of God down to the middle of the city street, and the tree of life was on each side of the river. The tree of life's back. The tree of life's so big, it's on both sides of this river. It has all kinds of tr- fruit, 12 kinds of fruit, producing from its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in the city, and the servants will worship him there. I could go on and go on, but this is what I want to say to you. God started out in Eden, and he had a plan for mankind, and that was his plan was to have this place where the kingdom was established forever and ever, and now all of a sudden we go from the very first of the Bible, and we go to the very end of the Bible. The tree was tree of life was lost in Genesis. We get it back in Revelations. Death entered the world in Genesis, death is entered, is ended in, in uh, Revelations. Sickness and death were there in Genesis, and now it's ended. The man was barred from the presence of God, but now it's been restored to him again. The thing you began to realize as I began to study this was, is that the kingdom of God was created for us. We were created for the kingdom. That was God's plan in the beginning, and that's God's plan in the end. He has never left plan A. It, plan A is still his plan all the way down the line. Jesus Christ come and he said, I got good news. Now the Jews were looking for things from Jesus. Now we could walk through Isaiah and I could show you so many verses. You know these though, and so we don't have to read them all. How many remember the wolf is going to lay down with the lamb? How many even remember that there's going to be so much produce and so much abundance in the land that just a just a, a bunch of grapes are going to be so big that we can't even carry them. There's just scripture after scripture about this. There was going to come a time to when there was going to be so much abundance. There was going to be so much peace where God was going to be so real that everything was going to be set right. You know, the Jews believe that when the Messiah came, he was going to bring this new kingdom, and this new kingdom was the restoration of everything. The Jews believe that this world is not the way it's supposed to be. It's broken. I wouldn't know if they would tell you if it was under the rule of Satan like Jesus said. I don't know if they would tell you that God of this world was Satan like Paul said, but they knew this world was horribly broken, that there was something wrong, that the kingdom of God was going to make everything right. There's not supposed to be sin in the world. You're not supposed to be sick. You're not supposed to not be able to see good. I'm not supposed to be losing my hair, and I'm not supposed to grow old and die. That wasn't God's plan. That's what happens when man turns his back on God and chooses to follow after Satan. This world is not supposed to be like this. There's not supposed to be any sickness. When Jesus went around healing the sick it wasn't just because he was healing the sick let me tell you what he's doing 
He was saying the kingdom of God is at hand. He said that when I cast out demons by the finger of God in uh, Matthew, or in, excuse me, in Luke, he says the finger of God, or in Matthew, he says by the spirit of God, when I do that, the kingdom of God has come upon you. You see, everywhere Jesus went, he wasn't just healing people. He was reversing the curse. He was removing the effects. He walked up to a fig tree one time, and I used to read this, and I would go, man, my Jesus was angry this day. And the fig tree had no fruit on it. And Jesus walked up, and he cursed that tree, and the next day they come by, and the thing was withered up. And they're like, I was like, man, it's like Jesus had anger issues. He's really upset. And I thought about it, and I read all kinds of guys like, why did Jesus do this? not the tree's fault. In fact, the Bible says it wasn't in season. It wasn't time for fruit. And I had a brother tell me, he said, oh, brother, it wasn't about the fruit. You see, all of creation is not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus was going around reversing the effects of Satan. He's healing the sick. He's giving the blind their sight. The lepers are being cured. The dead are being raised. And he's upset that there's even a, the trees only bear fruit in the season because it wasn't supposed to be this way. I love that his brother was telling me, he said, even when Jesus got out on the storm, he said, you remember, if, 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 if God is in control of everything in some kind of sweet little sovereign way, he said, why did Jesus have to get up and rebuke the wind? Why wouldn't he get up and go, oh, you know, wind, I'm the boss here. Just come. Okay, but instead Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and makes it stop because even the weather's out of order because Satan is the ruler of this world because you know why? He's not the legitimate ruler of the world. God gave dominion to mankind. Mankind followed Satan, and Romans 6.16 says, whoever you obey, you become their slave. He is a usurper. He's not supposed to be in charge of anything. He's a rebel. He's a renegade. This place belongs to God. But God's plan in the beginning was for mankind to be his agent on this world and to rule this world. Why doesn't God snap his finger and heal everybody? Actually, that's your job. Why didn't God just make everything okay? Well, actually, that's your job. You see, you were given dominion, and you're supposed to be doing these things as his agent. The reason I'll stand before God on judgment day, and he'll say that you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me water when I was thirsty. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was in, pr in prison. It's because you and I are supposed to go out, and everything that's been made wrong, we're accountable to make it right. We live our lives in such a way, according to Jesus, that they'll see your good work and they'll give thanks to God. Is that what the world does now? No, they look at Christianity and they go, bunch of whack jobs. But Jesus said, we're to live such a transformed life that when, pe when people are around us, when they come in contact with us, when the church of Christ is being what God called it to be, that they're literally going to watch and see what you're doing, and they're going to glorify God because of the, your transformed life. We are not doing what God has called us to do. We are called as ambassadors for the kingdom of God to advance the kingdom of God one disciple at a time, but everywhere we go, we're to be like God. We're to set the captives free. We're to feed the hungry. We're to heal the sick. 
We're to cleanse the leper. Everywhere we go, you and I are reversing the curse because that's who we are, because we represent God. We're his imagers on the earth. I shared with one of your brothers the other day, you know, God says uh, in the Bible that we were created in the image of God. He said, you know, when you're, when you're in accounting, you're CPA or, or you're a bookkeeper. When you're in education, you're a principal or you're a teacher. We're in God. So we're God's representative. That's our business. Jesus said one time in one of the parables, uh, he gives us a story there, and he says that he, uh, that he took, brought his servants together, and he gave you some talents, he gave you some talents, and he gave you some talents, uh, depending on the story, or he gave them some gold, or he gave them something. Um, different, different things in different parables. There's numerous of them. But in all of them, they have the same thing in common, Okay. Is the guy that's the story leader, he's either a king or somebody going to receive a king or he's a businessman or a leader of some sort. He gives you resources and then by leaving, he gives you time. And then when he comes back, he judges you according to what you've done with those resources. And I've thought about these parables all the time in light of the kingdom of God. And, and, and as I thought about them, I, I, I began to see something. I said, I started going around and I started teaching in Africa and said, I'm going to tell a parable. And it's a real special parable. It's, it's, it's actually about you. I'm going to read to you about you. This is a parable about you. You see, what this parable says is, is there's a king or a guy that's going to receive a kingdom. He's fixing to go receive it. And while he's gone, he's giving you some resources. Now, we don't have the same resources. You've got some. You've got some different ones. You've got some different ones. And then he's going to give you. So he's giving you the resources, and now he's going to give you the time. So this is your opportunity. But he's going to come back and hold you accountable. When he comes back, those that have done well with it, in one case he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You, you turn my five into five more, I'm going to put you over five cities. While you took two and turned them into two more, I'm going to put you over two cities. And this other guy doesn't do anything. He didn't do anything with his time, and he didn't do anything with his resources, and he says he's going to be thrown out where the gnashing of teeth is with the lost. That's a parable about me and you. We, our job is to advance and expand the kingdom of God. We, I'm going to tell you something, and I know this is going to sound crazy to you, but I say this to myself all the time. My life is supposed to be living proof that Jesus Christ raised from the dead. People are supposed to be able to look at you and say, I think Jesus might be real because you can't live like that. Unless God's real. Jesus said they're supposed to see your good works and say, praise God. Uh, I was an atheist. I'm an atheist. I'm not even sure what I believe. But do you see what those people are doing? Let your works so shine that men will give glory to the Father. This isn't your normal Christian life. Actually, let me rephrase this. This is the normal Christian life. We're settling for something else. People tell me, said, Glenn, I can't do what you do. You don't understand. I live here in America. Before I went to Africa, I was making disciples among guys that were released from prison. I had six guys. We were doing the exact same thing here that I was doing in Africa. There's the, the, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. The harvest is plentiful. It's not the problem. 
The problem is we've been given the talents, we've been given the resources, and God's given us the time. I identify that as that's our opportunity, and we've chosen to go deer hunting instead. We've chosen to go fishing instead. We've chosen to further our careers instead. We've, closed, we've chosen that we, we like a bunch of cool Christian stuff. It just happens to be cool Christian stuff that Westerners like has absolutely nothing to do with the cool Christian stuff that Jesus commanded us to go and do. We, uh, Tim and I were talking today, and I said I talked to a brother one time, and he said God had given him a special ministry. And I said, really, what's that? And he said, I'm taking back the arts for Jesus. He said, that's my calling. And I said, and I told this guy, I said, how come everybody's got a calling except for what Jesus said? And that's to call men to disciples and to make disciples. I've never met a guy that said, I have a calling to be a disciple and make disciples. They all got something special for themselves. I met a guy one time that God had led him and he, and God gave him a special job. He was going to lead celebrities to Jesus. How about that for an American ministry? So he spent all his time writing letters to movie stars and rock stars to try and meet up with them and tell them about Jesus. This was his ministry. As you may be shocked to find out that I had a brother of mine that, that was a professor in missiology in a seminary, and he said, oh, you met one of those, do you? And I said, what do you mean? He says, we get them calling the seminary by the thousands, young people that are called to be witnesses to the movie stars. He says, they sit around and consume ministry. They consume the media all the time. He says, we literally, in the course of five years, will get thousands and thousands and thousands of calls of people that are called to go tell Madonna about Jesus. They're called to tell Tupac about Jesus. They're called to whoever's the latest sitcom star, who's the latest TikTok star. That's who they're supposed to call them Jesus. Now, they never get in touch with them. They never actually do them, but everybody's got a special ministry. But they're not going out and loving the least of these, their brothers that are right around them. People want to know all the time, I want to know what God's will is for me. And I'm like, why would God give you something new when you hadn't done what he's already told you? Why would God give you special will, a special will for you to do something when you're not even doing what he's told you to do in the Bible? How come everybody's got something special God wants them to do when God said, I want you to go out and make disciples? We call it the Great Commission, but it's really the great omission out of the church. We spend all our time doing our special mission, and nobody's ever doing God's mission. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus came and gave you a special mission. It's in here. I don't actually believe God has sent his son Jesus so he could redeem the arts for Jesus when the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, I run into people all the time and tell me, hey, uh, uh, Jesus is coming back tomorrow. I go, no, he's not. Yes, he is. You know, look, look at all the prophecy. Look at the sign of the signs. I said, the Bible says he's not coming back to the gospel. The kingdom of God has been preached in all the earth. And they go, huh? I said, not only has the gospel of the kingdom of God been preached in all the earth, but the gospel's been preached in the gospel of the kingdom of God. He ain't coming anytime soon unless he's a liar. Because he said until the gospel of the kingdom is preached into all the earth, he wasn't going to come back. So you can stand around looking at the sky all you want to, but you want Jesus to come back, I suggest that you go out and begin to preach the gospel of the kingdom because that's what he's waiting on. I'm going to tell you something. God can fix everything, but he gave you that job. How come there's sick people in the world? Because you're not praying for them to be healed. How come there's hungry people in the world? Because we won't give, give to help feed them. How come there's people that don't have good water? It's because we're not going to go help them and do it. See, we were given dominion. 
Now, I expect the world and sinners to be sinners, but you and I are asked to be something different. I had a brother post something the other day where Paul said, you Corinthians, you're acting like mere men. That was an accusation. You're acting like mere humans. When you're the sons of God, you've been called, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've been given a mission. God sent his own son to send you on mission, and we're sitting here on church on Sunday wondering what God wants us to do. Well, he sent his son Jesus to come down here and tell us. He died giving us this message, and we're still sitting here wondering what we're supposed to do. And he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Jesus didn't come to give us a bunch of cool teachings. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was introducing the culture of the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you something. The good news is, is that God has decided to let us Gentiles inherit the kingdom of God. There's nothing else that matters but the kingdom of God. Jesus said so. He said to seek it first. He said it's like a treasure where a man went and sold everything he had so he can get it. You know why he told us that? It's because it's a really good investment to sell everything you have so you can get it. He told us it's better to cut your hand off or pluck out your eye than miss it. You know why? This is a shocker. It's better to pluck your eye out and cut your hand out to miss it. So you say, yeah, but you know, Glenn, I'm trying to serve the Lord, but you know, I got this to do and that to do. and I Brother, I'm telling you, it's better to pluck your eye out than to miss it. He's not telling us that for no reason. He's not telling you it's a pearl of great price and that men that actually spend their living buying pearls say, this pearl's worth every pearl. This is what Jesus came to teach. We're trying to decide how much time I can give to Jesus and and how to, you know, tweak my life a little bit and give a little more time here and give a long time there. And Jesus says, man, I'm calling you to die and come and follow me. What does it gain? What does a man gain when he gains the whole world and loses his soul? If we miss out on the kingdom of God, we've missed out on everything. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't hear the words at the end of time, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth, then I don't care what you do. I don't care what your job is. I don't care what your career is. I don't care what your house notes behind. None of that's going to matter on that day. The only thing that's going to matter is whether or not King Jesus wants you to rule and reign him forever and forever. If you have any aspirations for your kids, other than for them to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, you might want to think about what your priorities lie. Of course, we want our kids to to get married, have kids, be able to fend for themselves. That's all great. You know, the Bible says that we should all uh, work with our own hands take care of our own responsibility, and even have money left over so we can help other people. That's God's will. But it has absolutely does not contradict the fact that Jesus said it's better to go into eternity with one eye and one hand than it is to miss it. Jesus uses radical and serious talk all the time, and we think they're cool stories. I mean, when he says it's like a treasure in the field, folks, that it's worth selling everything for you can have it, then what he's saying is it's time for us to reorder ourselves as far as what's important to us financially. I had a brother one time, and he took great issue, and I'm closing down now. He took great issue with the fact that I believed in literal adherence and following, the name of, and following uh, after Jesus. And he told me, he said, uh, 
He said, well, the Bible says sell what you have and give the poor. And I said, that's right. He says, you can't do that. And I said, yes, you can. I said, I know people have done No, you don't. You're a liar. And I said, no. I know people that have sold what they had, gave to the poor, and went and followed Jesus. He said, that's impossible because if you give your stuff away and, and, you say, and you give it to the poor and you go and follow Jesus, then you need more stuff. And I said, now you're catching on. I said, that's what they said. He said, well, Glenn, I, I sold my expensive car and I sold this and I did this and, and I was serious about it. And I went out and I began to serve and help others. And I began to disin, disin, uh, disinvest myself in the things of the world and reinvest myself in the things of the kingdom of God. He said, but Glenn, I still needed more things. I said, so what would you do about it? He said, well, I, I, I got in the habit of buying things and using things. And, of course, I only bought things I needed, but I got in the habit of sharing everything I had and giving stuff away for people. God just kept providing me more stuff. And he says, it's really funny, no matter how much I give away and no matter how much I sell what I have to help someone else, there's still more needs, but I, I get more stuff and I give it away. And I says, yeah, it's kind of like you got two shirts and you're always running into someone that has none. He said, yeah. And he said, so I told this brother, the guy that said it's impossible to do, I said, oh, it's impossible to stop doing it if you're committed to doing it, really. What you do is you begin to, 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 to divest yourself all the time for the poor because that's the way God is. He loves all the time. He never stops giving. He never stops sharing. When, you know, I have people come, and, they, and I've had people tell me, they say, Glenn, I said, we found this widow, and she's, got a, uh, she's sleeping on a concrete and manure floor. She doesn't have a pillow. She doesn't have a blanket. She doesn't have anything. And I said, well, let, let's go fix her up. Let's get her stuff. I said, okay, well, we'll go to that tomorrow. And I said, are you sleeping on a bed tonight? Yeah. You got a blanket? He said, yeah. I said, you got a pillow? Yeah. I said, she don't. Go get it now or you can give her yours. That's the way I want you to be. I'm going to, she's, you know what I tell people all the time is, she ain't sleeping on no floor no more, not on my watch. I don't care if we got to give her mine. I don't care if we got to give her yours. She's sleeping on a mattress tonight. You know, I told that guy when I found out those Muslim women were living under the bridge, I said, no, you're not, nobody's being thrown back under the bridge anymore. Nobody's going to be persecuted because they don't have a place to live, not on our watch. I told him I believe that if Americans knew what was going on in Kenya and going on with the refugees, if people like me and you heard about it, we'd say, not on our watch. It's not going to happen. So I know I, I've tried to cram a lot into a short period of time. I apologize. But I wanted you to get the gist of the fact of what the kingdom of God is. But also I wanted you to understand it was created for you in the past. You were made. It is the context God created you for. It was created for you. And it is your ultimate destination. All of history began with it. And all of history will end with it. And you were given responsibility for this earth. Do you know that what I didn't read to you in, in Revelations, John keeps saying, over and over again that we are the kingdom. You see, as the people of God do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven, the kingdom of God is expanded everywhere. Jesus said, when I cast out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom has come upon you. You see, everywhere Jesus did and did God's will, when God feeds the hungry, he's just pushed Satan's kingdom back and the kingdom of God has come because in the kingdom of God, there's not supposed to be no hungry people. When we heal the sick, the kingdom of God has come because it's not supposed to be that way. And it's our responsibility 
ability. And God has said that we equip them. When I give you my extra shirt, whoop, when I give you the extra shirt and you're no longer naked, the kingdom of God has come. When I give you my shirt by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. Everywhere we go, we are bringers of the kingdom of God. Could you actually start thinking this way? You see me walking? See, I'm walking towards you. The kingdom of God's coming to you, brother. Because everywhere I go, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to clean you. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Everywhere we go, we bring the kingdom of God to us. Because we have decided the most important thing in the universe is the kingdom of God. And we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to write books about it. We're not going to give lectures about it. We're not going to do podcasts about it. We're not going to make apps about it. We're going to actually do it. We're going to go out and tell people the good news. And the good news is it's not supposed to be this way. But there's coming a day when the world's going to be like you know in your heart, even the worst sinner, everyone knows there's something wrong in this world and you're the only one that has the answer. Everyone knows it's not supposed to be this way and you're the only one that knows how to make it this way. Everyone knows there's something terribly wrong, terribly broken, terribly corrupted, and terribly foul and you're not going to argue with them, but you say it's not that way in God's kingdom. That's not God's plan, but it's because we rejected God and if we We'll repent and we'll turn back to him. We can enter the kingdom of God. The Bible says that if we are uh, born again, we can see the kingdom of God. If we're if we're uh, uh, born of the water and born of the spirit, we can enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said that if we'll abide in him, we can inherit the kingdom of God and hear those words. You and I have got to be the, the, the person that brings this message to people, but we also have got to live the kingdom of God everywhere we go. Can we come to the place to where we say we are the kingdom because we are doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven. What we've decided to do in our little segment of the world is that there'll be no hungry, there'll be no sorrow, there'll be no sickness, there'll be no nakedness, there'll be no thirst to the best of our ability. So in our area, we are God's kingdom at work on earth as it is in heaven. And I want to challenge you guys to to realize that when the people of God are doing the will of God, then the kingdom of God has come on earth as it is in heaven. We bring the reality of the way God always wanted it to be everywhere we go when we believe, trust, and do God's will. Our works are to be so special that men see our works and glorify God in heaven. I want to challenge you that, that God wants us to live such a transformed life that people will look at you and say, as one man told me, I've been watching her, and I didn't believe before. And I've got this feeling that maybe Jesus raised from the dead. Maybe it's all true because you can't love like she loves. You can't pray like she prays. You can't do like she does. You can't help others like she helps each other. You can't be like those people in that church building. They're all crazy. God must be real because you can't live like that unless God's real. Don't be mere humans. I'm calling you to literally be the kingdom of God in this area. 
and call men to discipleship and to join you, to be born again, to enter the kingdom of God and be worthy of inheriting it, as Paul told the Thessalonians two different times once in each book. So I know that's short. I know that's quick. But I wanted to share with you the reason I have passion for the kingdom of God the way I do, the reason I teach it everywhere I go. I want to invite you to go and listen to Mark, actually give a, a gospel presentation in to, to, geared towards the Kenyan uh, audience. My gospel presentation includes more of the beginning and end like I shared with you today. If you'll take what Mark's going to share with you on the website, you got the middle. I just gave you the beginning and the end because I love that part that changed my life. Mark is going to give you the middle that goes in where we talk about what Jesus did on the cross. We talk about the atonement. Uh, we use the ransom theory. Uh, and and, and I, let me just be honest with you because we've talked a little bit about atonement. Uh, I don't like Anselm's theory at all. I, I totally, I mean, it was based on uh, medieval, uh, what's the term? But he, yeah, thank you, satisfaction. In the medieval model, if I sinned against you and you're royalty and I'm a commoner, I can't even pay back my own debt. Another royal person has to pay it back. So I can't give satisfaction to God, only Jesus can. So the satisfaction model, it's not an evil model. There's nothing wrong with it other than the fact that it's obviously not what Paul or anybody in the Bible had in mind because it was a period of chivalry. It was a part of chivalry. And it didn't exist in the, until the Middle Ages and it only existed for about eight years. So we know it was fine for him to use it as a contemporary way to relate the, 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 the atonement, but it has nothing to do with what Paul or the Bible has in mind. It's just impossible. But anyway, so I don't care whether, which, which model you use the atonement. I just want you to know we used ransom. You're welcome to use whatever you want to. I don't believe a single model of the atonement is sufficient. Every one I've seen leaves out the other guy's good points. And so I love all the points uh, of the uh, um, uh, of the model of the atonement. In fact, the one we use, the ransom, probably has less actual biblical basis for it than the others do. I just love it. But Christus Victus is, of course, my favorite as we talk today. But you're welcome to tweak it. Don't, listen, you don't have to do anything the way I do things. I just, I just want you to consider doing things the way Jesus called us to do things. And I'm trying to do them the way I, that I understand it, you may read and come to a better understanding what Jesus was talking about, and, and you may do a better way. And if you do and you find a better way to obey Jesus than I'm doing, I need you to share that with me because I want to do that, okay? So if you find something that Jesus is teaching that I'm missing, I want you to let me know because I want to, I want to make it too. So thank you so much, guys, for having me. Now, we asked today if you had any questions uh, that you would send them to our brother. Did you get anything?